0: do more and achieve more and, and to run out, run out the door and you feel like you're just on top of the world, that's great, but I don't want you to do it on your own power. I'm to peel back the curtain and I want you to see that there is a God who offers you the promise of redemption, which leads to relationship, which leads to you doing the things that God has promised for your life. This was a big thing for me as I walked in my Christian walk because I started off, grew up in church. I, grow, I started off full of zealous and zeal when I turned my life over to Christ at 15 or 16 because I was going to do it, and I'm going to do these things because God's placed this stuff in my heart. And I spent my college years really wrestling with the issue of identity, that my identity is not what I do, and my power does not come from what I do, that everything flows first and foremost from my relationship with my God, brought about by access through Jesus Christ. So I want to offer you that, that there is a God but before he ever asks you to do anything, he gives you a promise, and he comes to you for redemption. Let's look at Rahab's story. It's found in Joshua two. A little bit, of, uh, we're gonna do a little bit of reading, and then I'm gonna go through stuff pretty quickly. Um, but I just want to introduce this character. Starting with verse one, says this: "says Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from mm-hmm. go look over the land. He said, especially Jericho." So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the lamb. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your home, because they have come to spy out the whole land." But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that, uh, that she had laid on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies in the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for a single night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this lamb and that a great fear has fallen on us, so that all who live in the country are melted in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and went... What you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is a God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men is shorter. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this lamb. So she set them down, uh, let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter your land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into this house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on your own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in this house with you, their blood will be on our hand if a head is laid on them. But if you you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. Here's the first thing, is that God's redemption starts with an unexpected interruption. God's redemption starts with an unexpected interruption. Verse 1 says this, So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. There's no record of her inviting them in. There's no record of her seeing them in the street and saying, Hey, I know who you are. Why don't you come hang out with me? There's no record of them knocking on the door, her opening the door and going, hey, great. Um, I had you actually written down on my day planner. Come on in, right? Hey, hey, Siri sent me a reminder that you're going to be stopping by sometime today between two and four. I'm so glad that you're here. There's no record of that. Literally, the guys just showed up, knocked on her door and said, hey, we're coming in. And she said, all right, come on in. This is so important because God loves to interrupt our lives, especially when we talk about redemption. God does not live on our timetable. We love to have our days and our lives so scheduled, and and how dare God come in and try to interrupt our day. We love to know what we're doing for breakfast. We love to know what hours we're going to work. We we love to know when we're going to go on lunch, what appointment's going to be for this, what time we're going to do that, what time we have to bring the kids to soccer practice, what time we're going to put them to bed, what time are we going to watch our favorite TV show we live in a scheduled life but God doesn't work that way God has a funny way of just showing up knocking on the door and saying hey I'm coming in will you will you accept me right now and that's what he did for her who knows what she was doing she could have been She could have been preparing a meal. She could have been getting dressed. She could have been spending time with her family. Based on her profession, let's just be honest, she could have been recovering from last night's activities, right? Or she could have been preparing for that night's activities based on her profession. She was obviously probably a night owl, right? Just being honest. So she could have been sleeping, Who knows what she was doing, but here's here's what we do know is that as soon as as soon as the representatives of God knocked on the door and said, Can we come in? She said, Okay, yes. Let me stop everything that I'm doing so that way you can come in right now. That's powerful. Here are some incredible verses when we talk about redemption and we talk about God redeeming our lives. Here's some very powerful verses that you'll find. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified, with Christ it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 1.14 says this, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Colossians 1.20-22 20 says, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by, by the blood of the cross. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's some incredibly powerful verses about God's redeeming power in our life. The only thing is, it doesn't mention a time or day about when it's going to come to you. It doesn't say, hey, at 1 o'clock on Tuesday, uh, you are going to have an opportunity to experience the verse of Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. So the question is today, and I don't know why you even came here today. Maybe you're here today because of some sort of interruption in your life. It's amazing how God will just do this. Maybe some people in here, all of a sudden, you know, you were riding in the car this week, and you accidentally hit the wrong button on the radio, and instead of going to your favorite radio station, you actually went to a Christian radio station and actually heard a song. You didn't even know the words, but all of a sudden, you haven't felt God's spirit in years, months, decades, but something in you came alive right then and there because God's trying to interrupt your life. Maybe some of you in the last week Maybe all of a sudden you woke up and you don't know why but you had this incredible urge to pray You don't even know how to do it. You don't even know what to say You don't even know what to do But all of a sudden you're like I just had this incredible urge to pray that is god knocking on the door trying to interrupt your life Maybe some of you you don't even know why you stepped in the church today. You don't know why you're here You don't know what brought you. Maybe it's just forget about the promise of god How about the promise that mom's gonna cook you dinner and take you out to lunch? Could it be, though, that God is using simple interruptions like this because he's trying to bring redemption to you and to your house? Could it be? Rahab had the choice. She she, as soon as they knocked on the door, as soon as she knocked on the door, she could have said, uh-uh. Or better yet, how many men knocked on her door at random times, and she opened it, and they offered her some cash to do what she does? These guys Knocked on her door, said, we ain't got no cash, but will you let us in? She could have said no. She could have said, "My, my day's full. I've got other things that I've got to do. But instead, she said, yeah, come on in. How many people here, God has been just knocking on the door of your heart, interruption, interruption, you're sitting there going, well, I don't know if it's God. Yeah, you do. You do. You do. Today's your day for Redemption. Today's your day for God to step into your life and say, I'm stopping everything. I'm interrupting everything, and I'm going to be with you right now. But will you choose to let him in? Are you going to shut the door one more time on him? The next one. God's redemption starts by finding you and your sin. God's redemption starts by finding you and your sin. Verse 1 again, it says, So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and and and, and stayed there. It's amazing how God found her in the middle of her sin. Of all the houses that they could have gone to, of all the places that they could have visited, they chose one whose identity was prostitution. Here was the woman that when she, when she dared show her face out in public, she'd walk by and all the people would see her and they would start whispering because they knew who she was. Probably people didn't even know her as Rahab. They probably knew her as that prostitute. That was her identity. How many people knew her as the sinner? How many people knew her as the, as the, uh, as the unwholesome? How many people, when she walked by, families would, would kind of would take their kids up and say, no, 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 she's not coming to hanging out with me. She's not spending time with me. How many, how many husbands and wives in that day when Rahab walked by, you know, the wife kind of hit her husband and said, don't you even think about it, buddy, right? That, that was her reputation. And of all the people, God showed up there. It does not excuse her sin. And we're going to find out in a moment as we we go through this that God dealt with the issue of her sin. But the beautiful thing about my God is that He didn't sit there and say, wait a minute, let me go to people's houses who are good enough. Or wait a minute, I really want to go to Rahab's house. I really want to go visit her and offer her the opportunity for redemption. I need her to clean up her life first. He didn't offer any of that. He just showed up and said, I'm going there. Here's the truth. This is what we do. Why is it when we talk about God, we always want to get ourselves cleaned up before we go to him? We always feel like we've got to put on this air about us to where we've got our lives all together because surely God, who's holy and yes he is, is not going to come in and want to be with me. It's amazing how Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the label that they gave him was the friend of sinners. Does that mean that he excused our sin? Mm Mm-mm. That means he was willing as a holy and righteous God to step into their lives and say, I know who you are, and I know what you do, and I still want to be with you. That is the God of our promise. That's how he treats people. Some of you may be here and and you're saying, well, Drew, I'm not a prostitute. I don't struggle with that. Cool. How about this? Romans 3.23, for all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, we're the ones who rank sins. We have our good sins and we have our bad sins. We have our sins that go, Oh, it's cool. And then we have our sins that we go, whoa. We're the ones who do that. God doesn't do that. There's not a sin that catches him by surprise. Now there are sins, there are sins that carry with them more consequences than others. But God doesn't rank sins. God, God doesn't look up in heaven and say, wow, there is so-and-so uh, who, who, you know, all they did was lie today. But there's so-and-so. And man, let me write all the stuff that they've done because they've got the big ones. Mm-mm. God looks at every single thing, every single one of us. And according to his righteousness says, Mm-mm. none of them are good enough. None of them are Here's what we do. We either do one or two things. We're so quick to do this. Either A, we try to get our lives together, and we do the mental math of saying, you know, I haven't done the big stuff, so I'm deserving, so I'm, I can show up today. Cool. Hey, that's good. Hey, I'm, I'm worthy, God. Look at me. And God said, mm, you're still not worthy. Or we do, the, we, do the other, we do the other route, and we go, Wow. You know, look at all this big stuff. I'm never stepping foot in a church because there's no way that the people of God, let alone God Himself, would ever accept me because of the things that I've done. I never will forget I shared with you last week how um, how my senior I'm sorry, how my junior high school I switched schools because I just got a hold of my life. I drew a line in the sand and I started going to Westside High School. I never will forget one day, is probably middle of the fall or whatever. Um, there was a substitute teacher who I'd built a relationship with just hanging out with him. Um, he didn't, and I'm not going to say his name and y'all don't know him. So, Hey, that's all good, right? This is 15 years ago. I never forget one day he, uh, I was about to leave and he said, Hey Drew, Hey, is there any way you could, uh, um, you could give me a ride? My, my car's broke down. My wife actually, um, dropped me off. Is there, is there any way that you can give me a ride home? I said, sure. No problem. Right? So while we're there, and he knew I was a Christian because he saw me, you know, he'd all the time kind of ask me questions every now and then. So on the way there, he starts just talking to me about his life and everything else. And, and finally, when we pull up in his house, he says, and I'm about to let him out. He said, Drew, can I, I, stop just one second. I, I need to tell you something. I'm like, okay, right? You know, again, I'm 16. I'm like, all right, whatever, right? And he goes, he goes, Drew, he goes, I'm going to tell you something that nobody else knows, not even my wife. I'm like, it's a lot of pressure to put on a 16-year-old, but go for it. All right? He says, "I'm one of the most respected people in this community." He said, "I've got a wife." He goes, "I got a child." He said, "But when I was five years old, I had a family member take advantage of me. And ever since then, I've been fighting this urge. But I now identify myself as a gay man, even though I'm married. And he said, your God would never accept me. Again, I'm new. I'm brand new in the faith. So I'm like, hold on one second. Let me just get the Bible out and see if I can find some sort of verse that applies to you. Because I know God loves you, but I want to show you in the Scripture, and I don't really know God's word all that well yet, right? And in that moment, I just told him, I said, man, I said, I know God loves you. I know He does. But what he was saying in that moment is he was saying, my sin and who I am is too big for God to ever accept me to heal me. And all throughout that semester, every single time I would see him, if he was seven, every single time I would see him, he'd ask me two questions. He'd pull me aside. He asked me two questions. First question he would ask, he would say, have you told anybody my secret? "Mm Mm-mm, sure haven't. Sure haven't. And the second question he would ask me, he goes, "And you really think your God would love me and accept me? Yes. Started my senior year and I never saw him again. Don't know what kind of life he's living or whatever, but that example just shows some of our attitudes that we'll sit there and say, God would never accept me. This has happened to me. But here we are literally in a story with a woman whose identity was what she did for men. And God stepped right in. Romans 5, 6 says, You see at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God's redemption includes closing the door on outside influences. God's redemption includes closing the door on outside influences. Verse 4 said this. It says, But the woman, talking about Rahab, had taken the two men she had hidden them. One of the most powerful things about what Rahab did is once she took them in and once she made up her mind, I'm going to get to know this God for myself, she closed the door on any other outside influences. This wasn't the first time that Rahab had heard that the people of God were coming. Wasn't the first time. I'm sure she heard the stories. I'm sure she heard the stories of, let me tell you about the people of God, right? Let me tell you about their God who's really strict. Let me tell you about the people who are gonna judge you, Rahab. If you ever see one of them, you're you're not gonna mix with them. You're not their kind. You're not their type, Rahab. No way. She heard those stories. Let me tell you what the people of God are going to do to you. They're not going to treat you kindly. They're not going to do any of that. And she had the courage to say, you know what? I'm going to find out for myself. I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to find out for myself what they have to say. You know, not much has changed in a couple thousand years. We'll do the same thing. If you, some of us, if we even mention the fact that we might consider going to church or we might consider the things of God, all of a sudden, all these other influences and people start talking to you about their experience and they'll start telling you things like, uh, "Nah, you want to go to church? No, 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 no. All those people, all they do there is judge you. You want to go to church? You want to get to know God? Let me tell you about this time. I actually sort up at a church and that one person said hey to me and I said, I'll never go back again, so you shouldn't either, right? You'll have somebody come in and say, you want to go to church? What? With your background? No, I I know what you do. I know who you are. I know what you've done. No, there's no way. You, please, you, right? Oh, you want to go to church? Oh, I was in church one time, and all of a sudden the scandal broke out and, and, and whatever, and I didn't like it. And so I said, I'll never go to church again because that's, you know, if that, if that's what God's like. I'll never do it again, and you shouldn't either. You want to go to, you want, you want to, go to God? Don't you realize that he's going to put a lot of
1: rules on you?
0: You're going to be boring. Boring. We laugh. But for some of us, it's true. You'll have everybody and their dog give you their opinion about church. Let me just tell you this. I'm not discounting how they feel. I'm not. But can I encourage you? You go find out for yourself. Can I encourage you to close the door on outside influences just for a couple of moments and say, I want to know this guy for myself. Have, has it ever occurred to you that maybe you could actually go to your God with your questions? Hey, God, I know I can't see you. I know I can't feel you. But my friend really talked about this negative experience that she had. Is that, is that you? Is that who you really are? I see this person on TV who kind of seems kind of like a whack job, and I just don't know. Is that who you really are? Has it ever occurred to you? God's not offended by your questions. What he wants is that you'll go to him and talk to him and get to know him for yourself. That's the beautiful thing about what Rahab did. She shut the door on all outside influences. And I would encourage some of you to do the same. Find God and seek God for yourself because he wants to seek a personal relationship with you. It's amazing. Yes, 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 yes. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Love it. Okay? But when God comes to the point that he wants to invite you for a personal relationship, he doesn't call it a group relationship. God, God don't do group dates. He doesn't. God does individual, let's talk to you right now. And I invite you to do the same. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, For the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. God's redemption includes addressing your fears. I love this. Literally when I was typing this out, I was like, Wow, right? God's redemption includes addressing your fears. Okay, verse eight says this. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went, up to the, she went up to the roof and talked to them. Rahab had some questions. She invited these guys in. They knew who she was and they knew what she did, right? They show up at her door. She said, you know what? Now that I got them, no, 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 no. You're not going to sleep right now. I've got some specific questions about you and about your God. And she starts talking to them. And every single one of them, she talks about fears that you and I share today. There's nothing new under the sun. There's, it's so easy to look at these verses and look at these stories and say, that's great that happened you know, back in the Fred Flintstone days, right? But for me here in today's society and in today's times, I don't know if I can apply it, but the concept of it is the same. Look at, some of the, look at some of the fear questions that she asked. She literally starts talking to him and says, this is this, and we're afraid. This is this, and we're melting in fear. I'm so afraid of this, and it's the same fears that some of us carry today. The first thing is that she had an absolute fear of trusting God. She had the fear of, can God, can your God be trusted? Because here's what she said. She goes, I know the Lord has given you this land, and we're all melting in fear. Can I tell you what she's saying at that point? She's saying, I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories that we may lose this land for your God. But what I want to know is can he be trusted? We're melting in fear because we don't understand how all this land is actually going to take part in the story of what God's doing. I'm afraid I may lose something that I'm I'm under the delusion that is actually mine. And we do the same thing. We sit there and we talk about God. And God begins to work on our lives. And instantly that fear comes up of what we may lose. And we're so afraid that God may ask us to give up control because we are under the delusion that we have control anyway. We think, do you, re- do you really think that you can control? Now, you, we're going to do everything that we can in our power, but do you really think you can control that job and what those bosses do? Do you really think that you can control as much as we want to, to be with that spouse for 60 years? Do you really think we can control that? We can do everything in our power to make sure that we're faithful to each other, but no man knows the date or the time of when we may pass. Do you really think that those, that, that, that those possessions, that car, that land, um, that money, all those things that we hold on to so tightly because we think that if we hold on to it, that somehow that will that'll, that'll be more control for us? Do you think we can really control those things? No. Can we be good stewards of it? Yes. Can we absolutely 100% control everything that happens to us? Nope. We sure can't. But why is it, if that's just a reality of life, whether you're a Christian or not, why is it that all of a sudden God comes in the scene, we start giving fear because he may ask stuff of us. He may He may say, don't do this. He may say, this is not healthy. He may say, no, I don't want that for your life. He may say that. He may take it all. No. Jesus Christ said this. He said, if any man will lose himself for my sake, he'll find his life. We've got to get to the point that the only security we can ever have in this life is our relationship with God. Now, we're going to be good stewards. It does not give us an excuse to be lazy and to not work. But we can't control it. That was one of the fears that she brought up. Is she's literally sitting there going, can I trust this God? Can, can, I, can I trust him? Can I truly turn these things over? Because, see, she didn't didn't see the big story that we see. She didn't see how God was writing that piece of land into his redemptive story because he wanted the nation of Israel to have that land. So that way that could be a vehicle generations later for when Christ would come into the world. She didn't see that. So she's literally asking, I am melting in fear because I don't know if I can trust your God, and we do the same thing. Here's the other thing, the fear of walking in freedom. The fear of walking in freedom. This is what she said. She goes, we've heard how God led you out of Egypt. So what she's saying is, we have heard how God led you out of this country, which, which you were in bondage to, and now you're walking in this freedom. You are the people who, a God, who God came down and set free, and we're afraid. That makes no sense. Here's a God who offers to walk to, for us and for people to walk in freedom, and that makes us afraid. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't that be celebrated? Yes, you're the God that leads us to freedom. Woo! Mm-mm. Made her afraid, and it does to, and it does to us. You want to know why? Some of the biggest fears, especially for some of us who are, who are making the steps to walk out of stuff, to walk out of addictions, to walk out of bondage, to walk out of, uh, to walk out of things that aren't healthy, is that fear comes up and says, well, if you take those steps, you sure you're going to be able to do it? You sure that you're going to be able to stick with that? What happens if you fail? What happens if you fall on your face? What happens if that freedom that God promises you—you you live for a week, you live for a day, you live for a month—and then you go back, you go right back into it? That's where the fear comes from. Our God offers to walk with us in freedom every single day. The Bible said that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. For freedom. And whatever it is that you are wanting to walk out of, whatever it is you're wanting to live out, you have to understand that, yes, is there a risk of failure? Mm-hmm, there is. There's a risk that you're going to fall on your face? Mm-hmm, there is. But here's a beautiful promise that God gives us is that his mercies are new to us every single morning, whether we do good, whether we do bad, whether we do indifferent. It's available to us. When are we going to get past that point that we're so consumed with our failure that we fail to forget the fact that what Christ offers us is freedom? Is it easy at times? No. Is it worth it? Yeah. But for some people, it's easier to sit in your bondage than to actually take the steps to walk out of it, to actually hold on to that promise that Christ would set us free. And that's where the fear comes in. Here's the last fear, the fear that he sees us and the fear that he knows us. The fear he sees us, and the fear that he knows us. This is what she said. He goes, he is the Lord in heaven above and earth below. You know what she's saying in that moment? Here is your God. This is what really makes me afraid is the fact that your God is both in heaven and he's everywhere at the earth, which means that he sees everything. And more importantly, if he sees everything, he sees me. And I know who I am. And I know what I've done, and I know who I've been with, and I know what I've done to people, and I know what people have done to me, and I know my failures, I know the times I've fallen, I know the sins I've committed, and that really, really makes me afraid that your God can be everywhere and can truly see me. And we have the same fear. Oh, we love to dress it up and look nice. We love to put on this face that, uh, uh, that all is well and that things are good and that, <clears throat> And that we can walk in front of our God because we've been good and everything else. But the truth of us is that we have a secret fear inside of all of us. The fact that if God were to truly see us and to truly know us, man, that's scary. Why do you think in the book of Genesis, why do you think the first thing Adam and Eve did after they took of the fruit that God told them not to and they ate it and sent it into the world? The first thing they did was hide. They were so afraid that God would truly see them and know what they did. So they said, you know what? Adam said, I've got a great game, Eve. Let's go play hide and go seek and God's gonna be the one to find us. I've got a great hiding spot over here on this bush. Woo! That's what they did. And eventually God came and he said, where are you? What are you doing? And it's amazing how even in that moment God covered their nakedness. But here was that fear, secret fear that if God truly knew us, We're afraid that he'll reject us. We're afraid that we'll be the one person that God will look at and say, I know everything that you did. Nah, no way. Mm -mm. I love love everybody else, but because of what you did, no. Here's the truth is that God already sees us. He already knows us. It's just us finally coming to that reality that he does. That's a fear she came up. And notice that once she said those fears, here was the first longing that came out of her heart. She said this, she goes, I'm afraid I can't trust God. I'm afraid that he'll, that he'll truly see me and that he'll truly know me. I'm also afraid that this freedom that this God offers, I'm not going to be able to walk into. I'm just afraid. And notice the one thing that she asked after that. She goes, I just need to know that you, this is verse 12. I need to you know, that you and your God will show me kindness. That is honesty. And that is what each and every one of our hearts desires. God, after you know me, after you've known all I've done, after you've known everywhere I've been, after you know all my failures, God, after I've confessed unto you that I don't even know if I can trust you yet because I can't see you, I can't touch you. I'm supposed to walk this walk by faith. God, I really want to walk in freedom. I really want to step out, but I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I have that much faith. God, all that, I'm just laying my soul bare before you. And the one thing I need to know is that my God will show me some kindness. Oh, That's me. That's me because I know God's holy. I know He's righteous. But I also know who I am. And in my worst moments, to know that a God would be kind to me, would sit down and, and, and show me kindness. That's the thing I want. And that's the thing that Rahab wanted. And there are some of you in here, the reason why you have struggled to even approach the idea of actually talking to God or stepping into a church or whatever is because you know all those things. You know your lack of trust. You know where you've been. and You know that he sees and you'll say he'll never accept me, but oh, that he would show me some kindness. And here was Rahab's request right here. And God granted it. God granted it to you. He granted it to me. Kindness. Did it excuse the sin? No, 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 no. no. It didn't. It's amazing. There's a verse in the Bible that says this. It says, God, your kindness, Lord, leads us to repentance. You know what that's saying? How easy it, for, how easy it, for us, it is for us to go and say, God, you're holy. God, I, I, I fully expect you to come to me right now and just beat me over the head because I know I'm the sinner. I know I am. And religion tells me that I'm not good enough. Religion tells me that I must do A plus B equals C in order to get to you. Father God, everything you've got, everything that I've got coming to me, I deserve. And I know that I do. I know that I deserve it. Oh, but God, you you would show me kindness despite all that? Yeah. I got no problem repenting. I got no problem saying, God, you are my God and I will serve you and you only because of the kindness in my weakest moment, you showed me kindness and you covered me. That is our God. God's redemption includes trading judgment and death for life and eternity. God's redemption includes trading judgment and death for life and eternity. So the story goes on with Rahab, they said, yeah, well, us and, and our God will show you kindness, but here's the one thing you need to do because judgment's coming on this place. Here's what you need to do. We're gonna give you this scarlet rope and I want you to hang it out of your window. And that is gonna be the sign that when we come, that's the sign that is you and that's the sign for us to go and get you. That is the sign that instead of judgment coming to your house, grace is going to come to your house. And redemption is going to come to your house. How silly was it? If you think about it, okay, there's an invading army coming in. How absolutely ridiculous it was to hang something bright and shiny out against a wall that that's the sign to come get us because it's freedom. I mean, that, if anything, that makes you stand out. How many people went up to Rahab and said, why are you hanging that scarlet rope outside of that window? You're going to be the first one that they're going to come get. You might as well hang out a banner that says, hey, guys, come get me. Looky here. Woo. But instead, she had simple enough faith to hang that scarlet rope out. And the judgment that came to that city passed over for her. That one sign that she did allowed her and her family to walk out of there in freedom. You know, the same's for us. The same goes for us. There's nothing that we can do to stop God's judgment on us. We can't earn it. We can't dress ourselves up. We can't have good deeds. We can't sit there and say, oh, I'll do this or I'll get my life right. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. There's nothing we can do. But there is a scarlet rope that we can hang around our necks that bypasses God's judgment and allows us to have freedom. 1 John 1.7 says this. It says, In the blood of Jesus Christ, Purifies us from all sin. I know some of you may say, that just sounds like foolishness. That uh, Jesus Christ, that I, I can't even see or touch, that all I have to do is put my faith in Him and His blood would cover us, would cover me. And you say, Andrew, that's all that I need to escape death and destruction and walk into life? Mm hmm. You don't need me. You don't need a worship team. You don't need a friend. You don't need a pastor. You need a savior. It's amazing how the story goes on. If you read it, going into chapter three, it said that Rahab, her family was spared, and that she walked on and she she lived with that community. She lived with that nation. I told you we were going to address the sin issue because from that moment on, she stopped being a prostitute and she stepped into God's redemption for her. She became a daughter of God. She said, you know what? This may have been my old identity, but because of something that I could not deserve, because of something that I could not obtain, I'm going to step in. I'm going to walk in. And and I'm going to identify myself with the people of God now. It's amazing. See, God never excuses our sin. There's never going to be a day that I'm going to come up here and and tell you that it's okay to sin, especially something that, that, that goes against the Bible. But what I will tell you this is that you need to settle the foundational issue first. You need to settle in your heart the issue of why would I choose not to sin? Oh, I get it. Because there's a God who brought me out from death, passed over me, and brought me into life. And He offers that to you today. He offers that promise of redemption. He offers that promise of stepping into your life and saying, I know who you are. And I know that the longing of your heart is that a God would offer you kindness. Not only am I going to offer you kindness, but I'm all for you. Redemption. Last thing. God's redemption ends by him writing you into his story for humanity. The book of Matthew is the first gospel that talks about Jesus. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one are written to a different audience. Matthew The book of Matthew is written to Jews because here was Matthew, who was a Jew, trying to write to his fellow Jews and prove through Scripture that this Jesus guy, who they didn't understand, was actually the Son of God. And he starts the book of Matthew, he starts the book of Matthew because the prophecies and the Jews believed through prophecy that Jesus Christ would come from a kingly lineage. That's what he believed that Jesus Christ would come from, he'd be a descendant for some of the great kings. So Matthew starts out this chapter by talking about all these fatherly men who were kings and working all the way down and saying, here's a king, right? And his son was a king, his son was a king, his son was this person, here was this person, here was this person, here was this person, person, and then you have Jesus. So that, you, that way you could trace all the way back. This guy who was Jesus, I knew his father, Joseph. And Joseph's dad was so-and-so. Joseph's dad was so-and-so all the way up. Now you've got King David all the way up and you continue so forth and so on. There's an interesting verse, Matthew 1, 5. And if you, if you blink, you'll miss it. It says this. So we're talking about this kingly lineage. Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Here's all these dudes, kings, priests, all these people that have come along. And you see a little name that was written into the story of God. Here was a woman who God said, you know what? No longer are you a prostitute. And I'm, I'm even going to go past just saying you're a daughter of the king. But I'm going to write you into the story of my son. And when people for generations read about my son, they're going to see how what you did helped play a the part. They're going to talk about you, Rahab, but not talk about you based on what you did. I've changed your identity, and you will now be known as, the, as one of the people in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. It is the same opportunity is available to you today. The fact that God would take me, and I know me, and God knows me even more, and would choose to write me into his redemptive story it's, more, it's one thing just to say, God, thank you for forgiving my sins. And thank you so much, God, for allowing me just to, just to be called your boy, but call your child. But you mean to tell me that you want to write me into your story and use me? To help me? You want to use me to help you to point people to your son, Jesus Christ? Close my mind. This promise of redemption. When it's settled in your heart, as a foundational piece, you can do anything. Because you're doing it for the glory of God. Before you fight for your promise, before you go out, you fight, and you grasp, and you take hold of the things God's laid in your heart. Would you be willing to allow God to take hold of you with His promise of redemption? I would like for everybody just to just take a moment. Ben's going to play a song, and you just talk to God. Let the words of this truth wash over you, and you find out. You ask God, God, where am I?" You allow, you allow God to speak to you for a couple of moments. We're going to leave in a couple of minutes. I'm on time. I'm doing good. So I'm asked that a couple of moments, you allow God to speak to you through His promise of redemption. What day is it today? Today Today's your day for redemption. I've done the best I can with the power of the Holy Spirit to offer you an opportunity to get to know the God who redeems. I would never embarrass anybody in here, but I can't preach a message like that and not offer some sort of a chance for response. If you're in here today and you would say, Drew, today's my day, Would you come and allow me just to pray with you? I'm not going to embarrass you. And it's not even for my benefit. You don't need to come up here to receive God's redemption. But let me tell you what this does is that you coming up here and letting everybody in this room know today's my day for redemption, let me tell you what that does. That marks a milestone in your day. That marks a day that you're able to go back and say, I remember when I... Tuned out and shut the door on what everybody else thought of me. And I accepted God's redemption for me. So, without no hype, no fanfare from me, who is it? Who's here? Today's your day of redemption. Is there anybody? Amen. Amen. Anybody else would join him? It's your day. Gentlemen, pray with the shimmer, please. Is there anyone else? I'm not going to rush it, I'm not going to hold it. Today's your day of redemption.